0: um let's wrap up last week for, really quickly, let's kind of recap what we saw last week. So we saw last week the spiritual torch of God handed from Eli and his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to Samuel, the, the one that God would raise up. And it, was, it only came after, like, warning, personal warning to, to Eli uh, for not restraining his sons and his sin. And then, uh, of course, by the word of two prophets, the last of which being Samuel. And in First Samuel chapter 4, we saw uh, that prophecy come to fruition in the battle, the defeat and death of Eli's family and tens of thousands of Israelites, unfortunately, all because they took the power and the presence of God for granted. It ultimately culminated in the capture of the Ark of the Covenant and ultimately uh, the birth of a remnant, Ichabod. Uh, the death of his mother, but the birth and remnant of Ichabod. A child is born with the name, the glory of God has departed from his people. And that's where we left off. And so we could see, we saw that there was warning before. We saw what happened in chapter 4 at the taking of the ark. And then we learned how the people of God responded to that in Israel. What happened? It meant death and then the birth of this terrible named remnant Ichabod. But how many of you remember, like, back in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, uh, country westerns? I remember, remember those, okay? And how many of you remember a phrase that got popularized during that time, and we still use it today in pop culture, uh, when you were going to change scenes from one to another? Meanwhile, back at the ranch? You know what I'm talking about? So meanwhile, back at the ranch, you guys remember that? Okay, so I know that that is appropriate at this time, because I can see it in your eyes. You're asking, the question, so we know... We know what happened with the ark, and we we can tell what happened with the people of God in the ark. But, Justin, like what happened with the Philistines who took the ark? Like what happened to the ark and the Philistines? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's where we're going to be today. Good job. (laughs) 1 Samuel 5. And me. it reads like this, meanwhile, back at the ranch. It actually reads like this, chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and brought it into the temple of Dagon and placed it next to his statue. So they take it home and place it in the temple of the fish god Dagon. And in pride, they place it in the temple of the Ashdod at the feet of Dagon as a sign of victory in battle against the god of the Israelites. They do so to please themselves and to please their god Dagon. Now Dagon is the god of sea, grain, and storm. And you have to understand uh, the temple of Dagon was found in Ashdod and it was the epicenter to all worship of Dagon to Philistia. It was the Philistine god of grain and sea. So this was a god that provided food for them or sustenance. In the middle of the temple was this massive statue and the statue from toe to shoulder blade is a chiseled a picture of a man, a chiseled statue of a strong man, but on its head is a fish, and this is Dagon, the fish god, and his, his statue is found in the center of the temple. And what they did was they, they came back from war and they took the Ark of the God and placed it at his feet as if in submission to Dagon, and Dagon in authority over it. So number one, our first point today is they stood their god at, next to our god. They stood their God up next to our God, the God of Abraham, as we learned in our last series, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as it precluded, the God of Samuel, and yes, our God. They stood a God up next to our God. Have you ever done this? Well, they had justification for doing it. See, the Israelites had brought their God into battle, if you remember from last week. Like, they had 4,000 slaughtered, and, and when they said in really, really astute fashion, like... Let's go get the ark of God, treat it like a party favor, bring it in here and we'll be successful. So I don't understand why that was a cognizant response, but I recognize that we have a tendency to only turn to God in crisis. And so they did that and they they brought it in. The Philistines were so scared because you remember we heard a roar that shook the ground. They said, oh, their God has entered their camp, surely we're done. And then in First. Samuel 4, verse 9, you have this like William Wallace, Braveheart-esque speech given. Like, no, Philistines, look, here, be brave, be courageous, be men, you Philistines. And so they take off and they go and they slaughter 30,000, capture the ark of God, bring it back with them. So, so they have justification because what they're seeking to do is to please their God, Dagon. They take the God of the Israelites who's been defeated in battle and they say, here, as a prize to you, we're going to place this thing at your feet. And hopefully, that'll prove profitable for us because you'll remember that we came to you with their God when you decide to feed us. So let the sea open up, let the grains open, feed us, Dagon. Because you're the God we depend on for stuff. Have you ever done this again? Ever done this? You know, have you ever put up next to our God your schedule? That hope of that promotion? Your own child? Ever put up your plans? Your relationships? Platonic or romantic? Hey, I'll tell you what. Last night all of Nashville shut down in a traffic grid. Why? Because you had three massive American celebrity icons show up in the city of Nashville to perform, and each of which sold out. And I'm sure, I've I've talked to a couple of them, they could tell you how amazing the production of the Taylor Swift concert was, right? T. Swift takes the stage after the uh, Nissan Stadium goes black and... And, you know, there's like a video of all the stuff she's been through. And then, boom, lightning comes out of the stadium. And here she comes, bass hits, and she's singing ready for it. And how many of you bet that that stadium of 80,000 plus did this the moment it did? Boom! You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that emotional surge happen? Or maybe you're at the other confer- concert with Def, Def Leppard, Journey, getting it on, boom. You know what I'm talking about? They stand up, our God's next to our God. Maybe, maybe it's not the band thing for you. Maybe it's not the music thing. Maybe, maybe you are a little bit more like me in the, there's a, there's a team in town. And when we see Titan Blue hit the turf, boom, especially, which is unlikely and not, doesn't happen all the time, but we hope for it. When we see the pigskin and the Titan Blue break the plane of the end zone, boom, you got dudes weeping in the stands. Right? An intense version of taking our God. And emotionally getting charged and standing it up next to the one true God. Because I promise you, I promise you, listen, hey, I don't, I am, I, I love shows, trust me, and I love sports. And I get emotionally charged when I watch my team, and I get emotionally charged when I hear my, my band play. But I can tell you what, they will all pale in deep comparison. When the trumpet sounds and the heavens split and the earth turns dark and the only light that is evident is Jesus coming for His bride. Do we, His people, stand up next to Him all the time? All the time in small ways. Our agendas. And piggyback His blessing onto it. Asking Him to bless whatever it is we're about. So they stood their God next to our God. And Exodus 23 says this, You shall never have another God before me in the ESV. In the CSB it says this, Do not have other gods besides me, not something or someone. Nothing else should rival your time, attention, and your affection but me. Jesus said it like this. If you want to be my disciple, you cannot otherwise be my disciple unless you hate your brother, sister, father, mother, spouse, even your own life. Why? Because I want your love for those things in a temporal world, in all those places, and all those people in a temporal world. I want your love for those things to be so vast in comparison for your devotion to me. I want to be so separate. I want to have one rightful place, the throne of your heart and mind. And I want all of you. I don't want a portion. I don't even want 99%. I want 100% of your attention, time, and affection towards me. And then all these others will bleed out of the love that I pour out on you. Hello? All of these other relationships and things will flow out of my blessing, but I want rightful place in your life. Because here it is. Let's read on in First Samuel 5. It says, verse 3, When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time Dagon's head and both his hands were broken off, lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why still today, priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashtoreth does not step on Dagon's threshold. Point two. No God shall stand up next to our God. It's kind of... Yeah, imagine this picture, okay? They come in from victory, rightfully so, over the Israelites, place their God at His feet because that's how they did it, hoping that that would prove good for them in the end, that it would prove producing for them. So they, they walk in cheering, throw Him down, here, Dagon, bless us, this God worships you. They leave, the next day they come in and go, uh, Bob? Bob? Because that was a common Middle Eastern name. <laughs> uh, hey, Bob, did you notice like a strange wind last night? Because nobody would have come in and pushed Dagon over. They don't want to take him on like that. We want to eat. And the Israelites wouldn't have come in here. They would have taken the ark. But it's weird. It's really weird that Dagon is face down in front of the ark of the Israelites. But like not a, a candle hasn't even moved. Like the the selfies we have on the wall with us and Dagan, they're still intact. Like, what happened, Bob? Did you know, was there like a wind come through here last night? Oh, let's just put it back up in its place and not say anything. Next day, they come in. Same scenario, face down before the ark. And this time, hand severed, head severed. Sign of Old Testament surrender. Only the torso prostrate before the ark of God. And they do this. Uh, gulp. Uh, we, uh, Bob. Are we done messed up. Because that's how they also talk. They all sound like they're from Alabama. <laughs> uh, uh, the, yesterday... Today, that's two times. That means it's emphatic. We done messed up, Bob. No God shall stand up next to our God. God allowed His Ark to be captured not only to teach the Israelites to appreciate His presence last week as we learned, but also to reveal Himself as God alone to the Philistines. You see... The Philistines were created in the image of God just as much as the Israelites were. Genesis 1 tells us that. John 1 tells us that. He loved them too. They were created to worship Him and to know Him. And here's the thing. When the people of God take the power and presence of God for granted and they don't reveal the power and presence of God to a lost world, God will reveal Himself. No matter what we put up the knucks to God, it will fall. Listen, it will not stand. No matter what is in your life that you put up next to Him, that when the heavy hand of God happens and it brings you under that conviction, it's not going to stand. You have an opportunity to either put it down before Him or to let Him take it. You can tear it down or you can allow him to. No relationship, no item, no plans are contrary to his will will ultimately stand in his presence or stand up in his rightful place in the lives of his people. How many of you have had the painful process of God taking it from you because you wouldn't give it to him when he tried to get your attention? Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is loaned to the glory of God the Father. Matthew 20-12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, even here this morning as God stirs in the midst of his people, he's probably going to reveal to you, if he hasn't already Places that are being put up in your life because of your time, your tension, your affection to your God. They're rivaling his rightful place in your, in my life. And we have a responsibility to respond to that. We can either so choose to tear that down ourselves, those idols, or we can continue to ignore him. And we can let him relentlessly pursue us to the point where he strips it from our lives to where we're dropped on the our backs looking nowhere but up going, Oh God, sorry. Please come help. First Samuel 5, 6 says, The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod. He terrified the people of Ashdod and its territory and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because His hand is strongly against us and our God Dagon. So they called out to the Philistine rulers... They called them together and asked, What shall we do with the ark of Israel's God? The ark of Israel's God should be moved to Gath, they said. So he moved, they moved the ark of Israel's God to Gath. And after they moved it, the Lord's hand was heavy upon the city of Gath, causing a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city from youngest to oldest with an outbreak of tumors. The people of Gath then sent the ark to Ekron. But when it got there, the Ekronites cried out. They moved the Ark of Israel's God here to kill us and our people. The Ekronites called the Philistine rulers together and said, Send the Ark of Israel's God away. Let it return to its place so it won't kill us or our people. For the fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors. And the outcry of that city went up to heaven. Point three, where can we run from this God? God was trying to get their attention and trying to show them as they moved the ark from city to city in the the country of Philistia, in that nation. Wherever it went, it took with it tumors and plague and probably bubonic plague because of said tumors. It preceded them. There was a power and a presence that was oppressing them, trying to get their attention so they would turn their hearts to the one true God and stop worshiping fish gods. And here's the thing. Stop appeasing those gods, hoping that in the end that God would hook them up. If we just put the Ark of Israel before you, maybe we'll eat and eat well. Anyone ever done that? If I just show up at church, maybe God won't smite me and make, help my kid make this team. Maybe if I just join a life group, maybe we'll get into the school that they want them to one day. Tit for tat. No grace. An appeasement response. If we'll just please this God, and maybe he'll please us. Psalm 139, 1 through 10 says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand upon me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty and I am unable to reach it Where? Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. How many of you have ever come under such the heavy-handed conviction of God that you couldn't find an exit door fast enough? And your flesh you tried to get out. Anyone here an escape artist? You know what I'm talking about? Well, here's the thing. We sang about it earlier, and I think we need to be able to embrace it. God loves you, and He loves me so much that He's only going to let us run so far. He's never going to allow us to escape His relentless love and pursuit of us. He will find us. And when the revelation and true conviction of God's presence is evident, there's no place that we can go to escape His loving and relentless pursuit of us. How many of you are thankful that God did not give up on chasing you? First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that He might exalt you at proper time. Because God was trying to reveal Himself as God alone and before all other gods, the Philistines, wherever the ark moved from city to city in Felicia, great panic and plague followed. God will reveal Himself and painfully, if he has to, I don 't want that for me. I don 't want that for you, but we welcome that pain when we decide to ignore him, even in moments like this when he speaks let 's not misconstrue who's speaking. He begins to write our minds and make make evident to us, reveal to us the places or the the people that we are putting up next to him, and he says, "I need you to tear this down. This is not right." I'm sharing space with this false idol, with this God in your life, and I won't have that. I need you to tear it down. And if you go, well, I kind of like that thing, and I'm not going to tear it down. And so he tells you next week and the week after that and the week after that, and finally that voice sounds a lot more distant until all of a sudden that God one day is ripped from your life, and you go, no! And God goes, I'm here. And God forgive me that I ever turned my eyes and I played fences. I had one foot in one camp and one in the other. Because in First Samuel 5.11 it says this, the Echernites called to the Philistine rulers and said, send the ark of Israel's God away. Why? Point four. The presence of God is at home with the people of God. Hello? The presence of God is at home with the people of God. If we don't tear down under His heavy conviction and put that before Him, then God will tear down those gods that rival Him in our lives Himself. You see, in in Judges 6, God rose up a judge. He rose up a deliverer. His name was Gideon. And it was a really similar story. In fact, the people of God had done what they did in fidelity. They had worshipped another god, Baal, and they had done that Repeatedly, but they didn't leave God necessarily; they just decided to straddle the fence, put one foot in one camp, one in the other, you know assurance, right so they they had an agenda, and they were still asking Baal to bless them, but they were not going to like they're the people of God, they're not going to like leave his name, they're just going to get in some you know assurance, insurance here, make sure they had it right, and what that led to was se- like several years, seven years of famine actually. And upon the seventh year, God decided to come and end it and reveal himself to his people. And he chooses to go to uh, Gideon, the son of the priest, to all worship unto Baal. Now, this is interesting to me. Think about where we were last week. God comes to reveal himself to Israel, and he chooses to do so through the the innocent, the clean-handed, the pure of Samuel, who's being raised in Eli's house. His sons are wicked. Eli won't restrain him. He comes to the house of the priest to reveal himself to the people. But listen, in both scenarios, he goes around the priest. When when God spoke, they ignored so much that they just became in the way. And God had to go around them. Listen, how many of you want that to be your testimony? God continued to knock. Lo, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens the door to me, I'll come in and sup with them. How many of you want the testimony? God was knocking, but you kept ignoring. So now God just has to go around you. You're just in the way. God's trying to do something, and you are now just in the way, functionally. So God takes Gideon, and he says in uh, chapter 6, verse 25 that same night the Lord said to him, Take a second bull from your father's herd the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole or the graven image that they worship, the idol to this false god beside it. And then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of its height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offering a second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did at night and out of the daytime, How many of you love that God knows us and even allowed Gideon, the coward, to go at night just so he didn't have to do it in front of the daytime and the people wouldn't kill him while he's trying to get this done? And when it's done, when it's evident, the next morning all the people come looking for his life, calling for his life, and they knock on the door of Gideon's dad's house and out comes the priest of Baal and they look at him and say, give us Gideon. He's torn down the altars to Baal. And the response of the father is this. Well, if Baal's a god, let him fight for himself. Sometimes God has to use the pure and the innocent and the least likely to go around the one who had the job because they took their presence, their responsibility, the power of God for granted to get that person's attention again. He did it with Eli and Samuel. He did it with Gideon and his dad. And he did it to reveal himself to the people. He will tear down out of love for us anything that we try to put up next to Him because God's presence is at home with His people and there's a rightful place for Him in our hearts. The people of God should cherish the presence of God so that the lost world around us knows it. Do you cherish the presence of God this morning? Is He right now trying to get your attention right here in this place? convicting you for the God or God you continually stand up next to Him. And maybe maybe this morning you've been placing this perishable God in, in the rightful place of the one true God in your life. And, and, and as much as we may want to, because how many of you know what I'm talking about? When that interior starts to stir and it feels like butterflies and it gets hot under the collar and God goes, yeah, her, that girl you've, you've been worshiping and you want her to love you and you beg and your prayers are consumed with you asking me to make her love you that she's a God she's got to go or that promotion that you think is going to finally set you up and all your time and affection and mental capacity goes to that thing and not me that thing that's, that's got to go I want you and I want you to want me that's how this works. That's all I desire. I want you to, I want all of you, not 99%. I want your entirety, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your capacity. And, I, and, and when God does that in a room like this and He starts to remind us of that, and it becomes so heavy and we become convicted, how many of us are looking for the doors or how many of us are trying to find ourselves as fast as we can face down at the altar to give it back to Him? It's because we know He loves us enough, He's pursuing us, and He's giving us the opportunity to tear it down for Him. And we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait today for him to tear it down in in front of us. Is he right now convicting you for the gods that you stand up next to him? And more important question, if he is, will you today tear down those altars that you've built to said gods? Or will you force him to? You see, churches all across the globe and all across America are filled with people who are Right now, hearing from God as he reveals himself to his people, and they'll come to a time like this in a service where they can respond. But they'll clench that seat or find that exit door. And he goes, Why do you keep trying to run? There's nowhere you can go to escape me. I love you. Just put me in rightful place in your life. Nothing you stand up next to me will stand, it'll all fall. So at this altar, place it there. Put it down and let me take rightful place in your life again. The altar is open. If it at the table today where we go, God, thank you so much that even in my infidelist nature, my tendency to worship myself or other things, giving other things homage, putting you before other gods and letting them rival your attention, thank you so much that you love me enough to sacrifice your only son and shed his blood to cover all that and wash me white as snow. Today, let me thank you again for the sacrifice that you made. So my sacrifice of this God or God's doesn't even seem to compare. I willingly put it before you today at your altar. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you love us. And today we know that you're willingly and relentlessly pursuing us out of that love. May we be a people in this time that not be found ignoring, dismissing, trying to escape, but be a people willing to say thank you and fall face down at your altar, tearing up and tearing down the gods that we've allowed to rival you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.